It's my pleasure to introduce to you Tad Mitsui, who is well known to many of you as a past United Church pastor and for his letters to the editor. Uh, I also noticed there's a great number of people here from the art community, as Tad is involved in art as well. Today, Tad will be speaking on the evocative topic, When Jesus Became a Christian, Did He Cease to Become a Jew? Did He Cease to Be a Jew? Join with me in giving Tad a warm Sakpa welcome. Some people think that this topic is quaint and irrelevant. First of all, it's religion. Second of all, art. Thirdly, it's 16th century. But I think it is very relevant today because we are frightened of terrorism by religious extremists. And it is important to examine how religion can stir up such a mistaken emotions amongst people to drive some of us to crazy and crazy behaviors. This is the reason why I decided to inquire certain aspect of Renaissance art to find out how the church managed to persuade the world to go against certain group of people. Religions bear a lot of responsibility in arousing and perpetuating racism, including anti-Semitism. I want to examine Renaissance religious art that exposes the Christian church's latent but profound prejudice against certain groups of people, particularly against the Jews. Why am I doing this? It is very important for me to do this examination because I am activist in universal human rights issues. I say universal, I don't discriminate. Human rights violations is human rights violation no matter who does it. However, I noticed that every time I go into the question of the human rights record of State of Israel, I am dismissed as anti-Semite. Therefore, I should not be believed. I think it is ridiculous to uh, label me as anti-Semitist because half of my, uh, all uh, my two granddaughters are half Jewish. And my, grand, uh, my daughter's uh, relatives are all half Jewish. 
I continue to fight for the universal human rights. Therefore, it is very important for me to stand in front of people as an advocate of universal human rights without having double standard. At the outset, I must uh, uh, acknowledge with gratitude the help and encouragement I received from two professors at the University of Lethbridge. Anne Diamond, the professor in art history, who encouraged me to go into inquiry on this particular subject, and Mary Kavanagh, the chair of the Department of Art, who helped me finding all kinds of interesting literatures in this field. I'm just a retired preacher, so I didn't have any background in the art history literature, and Mary helped me a lot. Particularly, she introduced me to Leo Steinberg, who was a professor of art history in University of Pennsylvania, and he wrote a book in 1983 titled Sexuality of Christ in Renaissance Art and in Modern Oblivion, and unquote. My query began when I sat in the art history class for two semesters at the university here. While going through Renaissance period, I was struck by two very odd things about nude figures of biblical characters. Famous art. What you see is a famous sculpture of David, which is standing in front of the Uffizi Museum in Florence. It's about 20 feet high. Is that correct, Henning? Life size? 10 feet. First of all, most of the biblical figures in nude are male. Have you noticed that? There's no female nude figures coming from Bible. Secondly, all these figures are supposed to be Jewish, and they are not circumcised. The argument is that Renaissance was a movement in Europe to revive Greco-Roman culture. Therefore, everybody, artists and writers, all imitated the trend started by Greek people in ancient times. And the argument about this type of sculpture of uncircumcised male is that Greeks were not circumcised, therefore they, don't, they didn't know how circumcised penis looked like. I don't accept this argument. 
It is rather easier for me to interpret this as an anti-Semitism of the church at the time. The church, after all, commissioned these artists to do these artwork in a particular fashion. I realized then how deep and entrenched the church held these prejudicial views and influenced generations of racist practice and misogyny, especially done against the Jews. There's a book written by a man called Barry Wilson, who teaches religion at the uh, York University in Toronto. And he published a book titled, and I quote, How Jesus Became Christian. Obviously, I got the impression, uh, inspiration from this title. He examined the process in which a movement within Judaism in Palestine in the first century became another religion denying its origin, namely it became Christianity. During the first century, a man called Joshua and Yeshua in Hebrew became Jesus in Greek and Jesus in English. And how did the word Messiah, Messiah in Hebrew, became Christus in Greek and Christ in English? A few centuries following, the selection of ancient books regarding Jesus became the present-day Bible. And together with the old Hebrew Bible books, this collection was canonized by the church in 393 AD at the Synod of Hippo in North Africa. This was the time when the church was very eager to erase as many traces of Jewishness from Christianity as much as possible. This is why Wilson contends that New Testament itself is inherently anti-Semitist, particularly the books like Luke, Act, and Letters by Paul. The New Testament is where the notion that Jews were the murderers of Christ came from. It was an official doctrine of the Roman Catholic Church 
until 1960s. It was only at the Vatican Council, which was held during the 1960s, that eradicated this particular doctrine and declared that Jews could not be blamed for the murder of Jesus. The church took 350 years to admit that they were, it was wrong and Galileo was right. However, the church took 1,000 years to decide that the church was wrong vis-a-vis the Jews. Let me go back to the subject of art. In the art history class, I was surprised when I first saw Michelangelo's risen Christ. This is a drawing by Michelangelo of risen Christ. This is risen Christ by Michelangelo in sculpture. Both were not circumcised. Uh, depending on the Pope, this particular sculpture was covered around the crucial area by a piece of brass, which looks very ugly. And I thought that was almost sacrilege to tamper with the famous art like this. It's almost as bad as drawing a mustache of Mona Lisa. But the church claimed the right to do this because they owned it. However, another interesting thing is, even though circumcision of Jesus was well-known, recorded fact in the New Testament, and there were many paintings like this. This was done by Montaigne, the scene of circumcision of Jesus. How come they decided, the church decided to uncircumcise Jesus when Michelangelo depicted the risen Christ? Interesting, isn't it? My amazement was not to see Jesus naked. My amazement was how did they twist the fact to uncircumcise Jesus. This really amazed me. I suppose the church, including myself, twist the fact to make a point from time to time. I hope less is more hopeful. It is uh, hoped that we do this less, but a lot of religious people do that. You see, circumcision is very important. If you read the book of Genesis, chapter 17, it is a mark of the special covenant between God and the Israelites. And God commanded all Jewish male to be circumcised eight days after the birth. By the way, 
all the Arabs are circumcised too because both Arabs and Jews were the children of Abraham. They were commanded to have circumcision done on their male child. I looked at other Renaissance religious art and ventured into some speculation. I made a quick survey of the pictures of mother and child. This was done by Holmes Kirk. I'm not an artist, so I don't know how to pronounce these artists' names. And this was done by Holbein, the elder. You noticed the hand of Mary? The hand lead the viewers to pay attention to the genitals of the baby. It is clear that this baby is older than eight days, and he's not circumcised. There are many, many pictures like this. Some of them were uh, painted with John the Baptist, the baby. And in that case, both Jewish babies were not circumcised. How did the church decide to de-Judaize, I don't know how to pronounce it, to make it non-Jewish, the Jewish tradition, by twisting the facts? At some point, the church fathers must have decided that circumcision should be dismissed as a shameful uh, procedure. Uh, Early Christian theologian Tertullian said in one of the books, and I quote, that faith has turned away from circumcision back to the integrity of perfect creation. Perfection of the flesh. As it was from the beginning as God created. And unquote. Origen or Origenes and Augustine or Augustinus followed the same argument. So did many early Christian theological fathers. They all followed the same argument. Leo Steinberg interpreted this by saying, and I quote, the reason for child's and biblical figures apparent uncircumcision must lie in the artists and the churches sense of body's perfection. 
And I quote, unquote. Therefore, Jesus, the Son of God, cannot be imperfect. Therefore, they eradicated circumcision. Do you know what this is saying? Jews cannot be perfect. They are with shameful scars, quote and unquote. This is how the church rejected Jewishness of Jesus. The Son of God must be without shameful scar or, and I quote, embarrassing defect. These are the quotations from early Christian fathers. The ancient Greek idea of perfection of human body being male is also adopted. Female has something lacking, therefore female bodies are imperfect. And church adopted the same argument. Another telling feature of mother and child in Renaissance art is a scene depicting the Magi paying homage to the baby Jesus. If you look at the guy kneeling and looking at the baby, next one is better. Where is he looking at? Where is he looking at? (laughs) All the pictures depicting the Magi paying homage to the baby is like this. This is the scene of Epiphany. Revelation of a true son of the true God to the pagans. And it is easy to see what the major is looking at. The major is clearly showing that they are staring at the baby's genitals. The major represented the pagan world, therefore they must be told in no uncertain terms that the true son of the true God is he, H-E, a male. Why did they have to do that? In case of Magi, we were told that they came from east. I came from east, further east. So I know how much female divinities are popular figures in other cultures. The church was trying very hard to stamp out that mistaken image of God, that God is a male, therefore the Son of God is a son. For example, in my culture, when I was growing up, I was told that how Japanese archipelago came into being. It was 
given birth by a goddess called Sananagi. By the way, this is virgin birth. There's no mention of any male when Japan was born out of this goddess. And also, another mystic figure which started the Japanese nation was the sun goddess of Amaterasu. Again, virgin birth. There's nothing unique about virgin birth. It's everywhere in the world. Therefore, moment of epiphany when the Magi came to visit the child is not only a demonstration to the pagan world who the true son of the true God was, but also he was a he. Therefore, the artist was told to depict the visit of the major to the holy child when he was looking at the babies. You know what? <laughs> it is no wonder that male chauvinism is well entrenched in the Christian church. Even today, some churches are changing gradually, but it's very, very strong. Female cannot be a true divinity. If you think that I am picking on the Roman Catholic Church only, you are quite wrong. I'm talking about the whole Christian church. Take, for example, since I'm talking about 16th century, let's talk about Martin Luther, the first reformer of Protestant church. Read Martin Luther about the Jews. This is his tirade against the Jews, which he wrote in 1543. He wrote, unquote, the Jews are base, whoring people. That is, no people of God and their boast of lineage, circumcision, and the law must be accounted as filth, devil's feces. This is the exact word he used. Ku Klux Klan, modern-day racist, religious movement, started as a Protestant movement. And if you look at the movie called The Birth of Nation, you will be amazed how mainline the idea that Ku Klux Klan, Klan advocated. And of course, it was a Protestant movement. It was an anti-Semitist movement, a racist movement, and anti-Catholic movement. I personally encountered when I came to Canada during the 1950s, in, run into people, they're all Protestant, who said the mark of Cain was biblical basis to exclude non-white race from the position of authority in the church. This is from Book of Genesis, chapter 4. 
And when I went to South Africa in a Dutch Reformed Church, this was the doctrine. Mark of Cain proves that it was God's command that no non-white race should hold position of authority in the church. Yes, let me conclude. Religions have a lot to answer for taking an advantage of racism. You may ask, because I'm so severe about the church, are you still a Christian? And my answer is, yes, I am. I believe that religion is an important instrument in our pursuit of truth. It is as much a legitimate channel of to pursue truth as art, philosophy, and science. However, all human efforts to find what is true can be abused in pursuit of power and domination. By striving for power instead of truth, religion can become evil. By striving for power instead of truth, religion can go against truth. This is how religion can become evil, as we see in the world today. Any of the religions that advocate violence and killing and elimination of a certain class of people in the world are not following the teaching of their founders. They are following misinterpretation of the teaching in order to pursue power and domination. This is why I am keen to expose the past mistakes of the church, of my own tradition, in order to strive towards what is truly true. Thank you very much.